0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power
2: to do? Mobile
0: banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a loaded, jam-packed playoff show for you this week. The takeaways, we hit the playoffs, we hit the coaching carousel. We've got a guest in to break down the most compelling figure in this year's coaching cycle. Fab is in for his weekly DraftKings segment, and we get to all of your questions in the six-pack. Let's go. all right welcome in the regular season is done coaching carousel season is here the playoffs are here it's the albert breer show we got a fantastic show coming for you this week we're gonna have a special guest in to break down the merits of the most polarizing coaching candidate out there in the 2021 hiring cycle excited to get you guys that we're gonna have some great insight there we have fabs coming in for fantasy and dfs information for wild card weekend and we're going to get to all your mail in the six-pack but we start where we always do with the takeaways and my number one takeaway we're going to talk about that coaching candidate right now I think that Jacksonville would do well to hire Urban Meyer and I know there are different takes on that and people think maybe what the way he runs his program won't work in the NFL that there are some issues that like you know what would it look like I'm just telling you, like I got to see what that program looked like at Ohio State. I've obviously observed what he's done over the course of his career. I feel like I've got a good feel for his strengths and weaknesses, and he is exactly what the Jacksonville Jaguars need. Um, That is an organization that needs to be imploded, and they need to start over in a lot of different ways. And the way I look at it is... If you're going to be hiring a guru, right, like an offensive guru, a defensive guru, and you're bringing them in just a coach, I just don't think that that's, I don't think that's good enough right now. I think you're going to need more reinforcements. I think, from what I understand, at least, you're going to need something sort of like what Buffalo got with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, where they went in there and they cleaned that place out and they rebuilt that thing from the ground up. They almost treated it like like it was an expansion team you know minus the football roster in the way that they put together that put together that whole operation and I think that's exactly what Jacksonville needs and urban Meyer for all of his strengths and weaknesses the one thing that he will bring is a completely holistic approach he's going to bring in his own strength coach he's gonna bring in his own nutritionist he's gonna bring in all of these different pieces and I, like, I think what they need is somebody like that Who is going to change the place Who's going to be able to shake up the place Who's not going to just come in to coach football But who's going to come in and build a program And I look at like where they're at The resources they have in the draft The advantage that Urban will have With that, the same sort of advantage Jimmy Johnson had with the Cowboys a generation ago That Pete Carroll had with the Seahawks 11 years ago When you come in, you know the draft really well Because you know all the players Some of them played for you other guys were recruited by you. You have incredible background on guys. I just think Urban Meyer is what the Jaguars need right now. And my understanding is, it looks at least like they're going to make him say no. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. But I would, I would absolutely, if I was Jacksonville, I'll move heaven and earth to make this happen. And just as an aside, that twelve million dollar number came up. I think it was Mike Florio that reported it. I would I like he's well within his rights to ask for that much, and I will explain to you why if you look at what like first of all like eight of the 32 head coaches in the nfl are in eight figures so eight of the 12 coaches eight of the 32 coaches in the nfl 25 percent of the league they're already in that neighborhood right so that's number one number two like look at it versus what players make this would tie urban meyer for the 145th highest paid player in the NFL. Like, he'd be making what Emmanuel Sanders is making in New Orleans right now. Like, to me, that's a bargain. You can spend whatever you want on coaches. There's no salary cap there. So I don't understand why people are that shocked by what coaches make, given how important coaches are in football. You know, what you always say is the most important people in any football operation, coach and quarterback, well, if the coach is a top two most important guy in your operation like, and he might be the seventh or eighth highest paid guy in that, op- that's a bargain. It's a bargain. Write that check tomorrow. So, um, you know, I don't think he's out of line asking for, you know, I don't, I don't think he would be out of line asking for $12 million a year. Nor do I think that that would be money poorly spent. I think spending a lot on a coach is what teams should do. And if your team's not willing to do that, I think you should have a problem with it. Takeaway number two, I'm not wild about the way they got there, but I think the Texans did well to hire Nick Casario as the general manager. And the reason why, he's a very unique football executive. He was the position coach in New England to Randy Moss and Wes Welker and Dante Stallworth during a record-breaking year in 2007. He spent the early parts of his career toggling back and forth between coaching and scouting. He's been on the headset. Um, He was on the headset with Bill O'Brien and Josh McDaniels in New England. Um, He understands just about every facet of a football operation. He's negotiated contracts. He's done trades. You are getting a very complete football executive. So it was a mess how they got there. No question about it, right? Like, so the power struggle between Bill O'Brien and Rick Smith, then the issue between Bill O'Brien or Jack Easterby, depending on who you listen to, and Brian Gain, then the power struggle between Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby. That's three now. Now you're on number four, right? Like, it, this is how you've gotten here. It's, it was Jack Easterby versus the search firm, it was Jack Easterby versus the. Uh, the advisory committee that had Tony Dungy and Jimmy Johnson on it. So Jack Easterby wins another power struggle. I I don't like the way that you got here. But if the final result is having Nick Casario running your football operation, congratulations, Houston. You did really, really well. And I think you're going to find the right coach, and I think you're going to find a guy who knows how it's built. I think this is a great final result for for Houston. Uh, It was a really, really ugly way of getting there. But if you're a Texans fan, I think you should be happy right now. Takeaway number 3. I think the Denver Broncos GM situation is better than people realize. And to tell you why, I'm going to kind of I'm going to explain to you how this all happened. Now, earlier in the year, I probably said this on the podcast at one point or another too. Uh, I definitely wrote it. It didn't look like major change was coming to the Broncos football operation. The reason why is because ownership is still in flux there is a preferred um, Bowen family member that the trustees the organization would would, would would want to be the next controlling owner of the team that's Brittany Bullen the thought is Brittany now working in the building could become the own could become the controlling owner before the end of next season if that happens well then now she's in a position to make some decisions and so a big piece of this was, you know, like, okay, like Brittany Bowen's going to press pause on, or they're going to press pause on making any sort of big overarching decision, and they are going to make decisions on John Elway, on Vic Fangio at the end of the 2021 season. So John Elway's going into the last year of his contract. He's got a nice bonus at the end of that contract, and I think Elway, you know, he's got a lot of things going on in his life. Maybe he wants to take a little bit of a step back. Um, I know that's what he's communicated to people. And now if you're him, you're looking at it. And it's like, do I want to hang on for one more year or do I want to kind of take a step back and help pick my successor? And then I've got a graceful exit plan where I can still be involved with the organization, but maybe not in the day to day quite as much. I think it was a really smart move by Elway to do this because this allows him to basically pick a successor. The Broncos get the advantage of having a guy now who has so much institutional knowledge on the way the NFL works, both as a player and an executive. One of only four guys in all of sports, by the way, that's a Hall of Famer and has won a championship as both an executive and as a player. I can't remember the other three. Jerry West is definitely one of them. But incredible institutional knowledge. He helps you make that higher. I think it's an attractive situation for a GM, more so than people might make it out to be. Uh, a good organization. I think Brittany Bullen will be a good owner. And I think ultimately, you know, you go in and you're going to be paired with Vic Fangio, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you and Vic are tied at the hip. So eventually you'll be able to, yeah, you know, whether it's whether he retires or whether, you know, you move on from him, you're eventually probably going to be able to pick a successor. So, I look at that like I look at everything when I added up in Denver, and there are some obvious names that worked there over the last few years. That um, over the last eleven years that were under you know the same roof as John Elway in the scouting department, Dave Ziegler from New England, John Spytek from from Tampa, uh, Champ Kelly from Chicago, and Adam Peters from San Francisco. But I think that they're going to take a swing at maybe a bigger name first. I don't know if that'd be Peyton Manning or someone else, but I think they're going to take a couple big swings and maybe settle on one of the guys they're more familiar with. But I think that sets up as a really nice situation for someone. Again, like I think some people are looking at this wrong way and saying, well, you know, Elway's just going to kind of get back into player personnel in three or four months after he takes a break and he's going to want to, you know, hover over everything. That's not my understanding of the way this is going to work. That GM is going to be empowered. Takeaway number four. We'll get my Super Bowl pick here. We've decided to do picks with Fabs, like the game-to-game picks with Fabs, um, a little later in the show, and we'll do that on a week-to-week basis with Fabs. My Super Bowl pick, going into the playoffs, you can mark this down, I've got the Kansas City Chiefs beating the New Orleans Saints in the Super Bowl. And I say that with some trepidation trepidation just because I I think the Saints roster is good enough to keep winning in the Dome. I like on Lambo and Lambo. I think it would be a toss-up. I think they're more complete than the Packers right now. But obviously, Aaron Rodgers versus Drew Brees isn't what it used to be from a matchup standpoint. I think the Saints find a way to get to the Super Bowl, and I think the Chiefs win when they get there. This is a great Saints team, and I'm when I'm putting them in the Super Bowl. I'm putting them in the Super Bowl in part because there's a sense of urgency there. They this needs to be the time for them and there's a lot of pressure on them to win now and I think you know that sort of team is going to react well to that but I just can't bet against Patrick Mahomes on the big stage so give me Patrick Mahomes on the big stage to win Super Bowl 55 and, and be the MVP once again back-to-back MVPs for Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl before he goes into his fifth year as a pro pretty incredible stuff there Finally, my awards picks, and I'm going to go through these really quick before we get to our special guest. Um, pretty simple here. I, I didn't think any of these were overly – like some of them were tough. I think Coach of the Year was probably the toughest one. Some of them were easy. I'd say more of them were, were relatively easy, so we'll go through these. My MVP, Aaron Rodgers, it was Patrick Mahomes at midseason. I'm going with Rodgers now just because I, like, I feel like he's done a little bit more with a little bit less than Patrick Mahomes. Um, and I, like he's had a career year statistically it checks out so I'm taking Aaron Rodgers for, for MVP my Offensive Player of the Year Derrick Henry I think that's pretty self-explanatory you want to award the sort of season that Henry's had um, over 2,000 yards and what he's meant to that team I mean I think if you take him out of that team they lose a lot of their identity so give me Derrick Henry as the Offensive Player of the Year the Defensive Player of the Year is Aaron Donald Again, this is pretty simple. He's the best player. Um, he may be better at his job. He's the best player at his position, definitely. But he may be better at his job than any other any other NFL player is at their job. I used to say that about Darrell Revis all the time. Like, who is playing their position at the highest level? I think right now Aaron Donald may be playing his position at a higher level than anybody else is playing theirs at, which is... Quite the statement to make when you've got uh, guys like Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes in the league. My offensive rookie of the year is Justin Herbert. Again, I think when Joe Burrow hurt, got hurt, this sort of became academic. I love what Justin Jefferson's done in Minnesota. He's been awesome. I just think the degree of difficulty at quarterback to accomplish what Herbert accomplished as a rookie—pretty impressive. He rallies them to four straight wins at the end of the year. They finish seven and nine. Give me Justin Herbert for offensive rookie of the year defensive rookie of the year was just as simple for me. Chase Young's a game changer. Love what Jeremy Chin's done um, in Carolina. Gave that defense an identity. They turned the ball over a lot. He was a big reason why. Um, Love what Patrick Queen's done in filling a role, an important role in the Baltimore Ravens defense. My pick's got to be Chase Young. Um, Again, a game-changing talent named captain in the middle of the year that wasn't an overly difficult one for me and that gives you four Buckeyes in five years to win the defensive player rookie of the year award pretty incredible stuff coach of the year again this was the toughest one for me I went Ron Rivera here and look Sean McDermott deserves mention Matt LaFleur deserves mention Kevin Stefanski deserves mention Brian Flores deserves mention a lot of guys did great jobs this year I didn't even mention Sean Payton who continues to win with backup quarterbacks. So I think all of those guys deserve mention. But, I mean, Ron Rivera, to overcome what he overcame, and I I had a buddy of mine, I'll I'll dime him out here, Ian Rappaport, my buddy from NFL Network, uh, you know, he sort of sold me on the idea of this, and he's right. I mean, to overcome cancer, to overcome, like, all the stuff that happened with ownership, the Washington Post stories and everything else, to overcome everything that's happened with the name change, to keep everybody... Um, on track, and to have to be the voice of the organization through all of that, through all the stuff that happened personally to him, to all through all the stuff that was happening within his organization, to have to be the voice of all of that and then deal with a first round quarterback, like flaming out the way that that happened. I, I it's beyond impressive what Ron Rivera has been able to do. and it's exactly by the way what the Washington football team bought into when they bought into Ron Rivera. so pretty. I would say that was a tough pick just because there were a lot of guys that did a good job, but to me, it's a logical pick. And finally, comeback player of the year. We don't need to waste very much time on this. It's Alex Smith, period, end of the story. Let's get to our special guest. All right, we're going to welcome back my, one of my old buddies. It's been a little while since we had him on the show, but I'm glad to have him back, and there's a really, really good reason for us to bring him back this week. Um, from 97.1, the fan in Columbus. He and Anthony Schlegel um, host a show back there, and Brandon Beam. I don't want mean, to. I don't, don't want to sell him short either. And uh, he's a former Ohio State linebacker, former first-round pick of the Dallas Cowboys. Played for the Cowboys, the Lions, the Patriots, the Dolphins. Did I miss anyone, Bobby? I always go through this
2: with you. No, you got it. That's good. Is that
1: it? All right. All right. He's Bobby Carpenter. Bobby, welcome back to the show.
2: Albert, thanks for having me on, man. This is a uh, exciting time here at the end of the NFL season. Coaching changes, playoffs coming up, college football national championship. Like it's it's really a point that I don't know if anybody ever thought we would get to. You okay, know, for, we're finally for, here
1: for all the my Ohio State people. We, we will talk about the national championship game at the at the end of this, but this isn't an NFL show. Well, so we're going to start there. And one of the reasons I want to have Bobby on, you know, Bobby's uh, been in the media in Columbus for a while now and covered a lot of the. Uh, of the Urban Meyer era in Columbus, been around the program a lot. You're over there at the Woody a lot, Bobby. So, um, you know, obviously one of the things that's been in the news the last few weeks, uh, the flirtation, and I think this has really been going on for about a month between Urban Meyer and uh, and the Jacksonville Jaguars and Chad Khan. And so I, I just want to start with kind of like a general question for you, which is based on what you've seen, based on what you know of Urban, based on your experience playing in the NFL, how do you think Urban Meyer fits as an NFL coach?
2: You know, early in his career I don't think he would have been able to handle it, but I think probably one of the best things that happened for him was, you know, towards the end of his career, obviously his final season gets suspended, Ryan Day comes in and I felt like he was starting to kind of ease off a little bit because in the NFL you can't be a guy that just leans on players all the time. Like they'll they'll push back and frankly some of the guys you know, if you haven't established yourself as a coach, they don't care what you did in college and they may even have a better relationship with the owner than you do. And so I was always uncertain. I thought, you know what, his mentality and his style wouldn't necessarily work. But then as I watched his final couple of years at Ohio State, you know, he began to ease up a little bit. He gave his you know coordinators a little bit more power, a little bit more discretion. He wasn't quite on the guys quite as much, not to say that he was soft by any stretch, but it was more about value propositions. Okay, guys, this is what I'm going to ask from you, and this is what I'm going to provide you to help get it done, and this is how it ultimately help you in the end. And so NFL players are really smart. Those guys, they care about, hey, are we winning games. Am I playing well? What are you doing for me? And you know, Can you help me get my next contract? And if you can articulate a program as to how that's going to work and why that's important and how you're going to do that for them, I, I think you can have success. New England, they drive guys really hard. Got great food. They have great body work. They take care of guys. Like th- there's everything you need there to have success. And so guys enjoy it, and they want to be at the facility a lot. And so I I liken it a little bit to that. I think if he's able to take that model, he'll be okay.
1: Do you think like so like so that's the key then, right? Because you played for Parcells, you played for Belichick, so you've seen it. You know, like you've seen what that style of coaching um, is like, and what it's like to live in one of those programs. So with this era's as athlete is as much as like maybe putting that carrot out there and showing, Hey, I can make you rich. Like I can make I I can I can I can put you in a position where you're gonna win, you're gonna have success in the field and ultimately that's gonna lead to you making a lot of money.
2: And that's really what it is. I mean, Bill Parcells was great at that. And you know he'd grind on guys, And but he was the first person who would advocate for you to the front office to get you paid if you were one of his guys and you did everything the right way. And so while he might grind you a little bit into the ground, he was also your best friend. And then you also have to be able to develop those personal relationships. And it's something that I used to watch, Urban. He was a little bit robotic in nature. I do think he's done a better job of developing those individual relationships with players because those are the things, Albert, like – you know, that bring you back when you've had a bad game and, you know, it's week 11 and you're, you're, you're six and five or five and six and right there on the fringe of the playoff hunt. And it's like, how do you get your guys to keep buying in? Sometimes you got to go put your arm around the guy and talk to him and be like, hey, you can do this. I'm here for you. This is how we're going to get it done and almost kind of build them up a little bit because you just can't lean on them on, especially when you have the right type of guys, which I think he'll do a good job of finding those.
1: Do you. So let's flip it around then. Why does it work? His record is outrageous, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, like lost nine games at Ohio State. I think his career win percentage is like around 90%, which is like just bonkers. And I don't care where you're coaching. Yeah, they had advantages at Florida and Ohio State, but still, you know, he did it at Utah. He did it at Bowling Green. Um, just your observation and his seven years there, and I know you were there, for, you, you, you were in the building, you saw a lot of it. Why is he so wildly successful?
2: Well, you think about it, too, his first year in the Big Ten wasn't great that year, but they went 12 and 0 with none of his guys, you know, in a roster that was largely depleted because he coaches them so hard and he has high expectations. And so, believe me, he separates the wheat from the chaff real quick and he gets the type of guys he wants in there. And then once he's able to recruit, he's got a great system for evaluating talent. They get the right guys in there with the right backgrounds, the right mentality that are ready to work. And you grind on him, and you work, and you work, and you work, and he's on his coaches as much as he's on his players. It's a little Belichicky and ish in that way. And so, when you have great players that you grind really hard, yeah, some of them may leave after three years just because they're sick of it, but they're really, really good, and you're maximizing your potential.
1: And so, it's like, like does that mean you're weeding people out? Like, because at the NFL and the in college, I guess you kind of churn through guys, right? Because the guys are only there for three, four, or five years. In the pros, like, there are going to be, you, like, ideally you have a few guys who are going to be around for 10 years. Like Belichick, now it's not just Brady. He had Gronkowski, Hightower, the earlier group, Vrabel, uh, McGinnis, Teddy Bruschi. Like, there were guys that were there for a long period of time. So I, I think that would be a little bit of an adjustment, too, that you're not just churning through guys the same way,
2: right? Well, I don't think it's, it's churning through. Like, you're, there's going to be a lot of churn on that roster early on. But it's developing, you know, the, the relationships with the right guys. And I think he would be able, you got to believe me, because it's his thing is always about leadership. Like your best players have to be your best grinders. Like you need, a lot of it worked for Bill in New England because Tom Brady was a grinder. William McGinnis is a grinder. Like Mike Vrabel, you find guys who are really good players. And maybe you have to take a guy who may not be quite as talented, but you get to get a guy that's a high character player. And then you build that culture and then you can always lean on him. And you can always lean on that person, and that that puts you above reproach because you're going to be on your best guy who you know you can handle it.
1: So now I'm curious, like having gone through that with Belichick for a shorter period of time with with um, with Parcells, can you think of a good story where you knew, like this sucks, <laughs> like like this, but but I know there's a tangible result. Can you think of a good example with from either Parcells or Belichick where you could? Where you were out there and you knew, like, like God,
2: like I, I, this is
1: really tough. But I know, like, I'm tangibly getting better going through this.
2: You know, so Parcells at the end of the season called it the big push, and he's like, guys, if you listen to me, I'll get you to the tournament. Like that was his always his thing. <laughs> you listen to me, I'll get you to the tournament. And everybody's like, all right, well, I mean, you took uh the Giants to a couple of Super Bowls, won them. Patriots to a Super Bowl. Jets to an AFC Championship, right on the cusp of winning. Like, and so he had all that, all that credibility banked up. So. It's like, just listen to me. And you come in, you're like, gosh, you know, it's Thursday. We're wearing shoulder pads again. It's late in the year. He's like, just listen to me, guys. And so he'd go out there. We'd play at, you know, physical team, the New York Giants, you go back with Tom Kaufman, we pound the football. And he'd come out there and we'd wear shoulder pads, you know, the first half of practice. And then, you know, he'd blow the whistle, you know, he'd hype us up to make sure we got the work in. And then he'd, he'd pop the shoulder pads off and he'd give you that carrot at the end. Because yeah. everybody, he's, if you listen to me, listen. Then he give you a little bit of something, you know. Or then after a loss, you may not wear shorter pads at all that week. Like he always had something to keep your mind. And half of it's just mind games to keep those guys interested.
1: So like Urban would be like you you'd probably see some similar stuff from Urban than like going to the pros. Like where he'd have to adjust it, maybe like kind of like just I guess maybe it's almost like an acknowledgement that you're not dealing with kids and you're dealing with professionals, right?
2: Well, you look at Tom Coughlin in New York. I mean, he was had a lot of success in uh, had a lot of success in um, in Boston College, and you know he was kind of a college guy, he bounced back and forth. But you know, later in his career in New York, like he was able to lighten up. It's impossible to go in and be the the nice guy that, that gets tough. But you go in, you set the tone early in camp. You set the tone early in the offseason, Maybe your whole first year and then you kind of ratchet it back a little bit. And so guys are used to it being hard, so when you you do pull it back a little bit, they appreciate it. You let them know and that's how those relationships are formed.
1: Okay. What do you think he needs? Like if you if there if you like if he's going in there and he's saying I need X Y and Z, what do you think like Urban needs to to be successful in the NFL? And I know it's like kind of like sounds like a vague question, but I think more than what I'm talking about is like what sorts of resources would he need? What sorts of staffing would he need? Like, what do you think, what, what would he need in Jacksonville to make it work?
2: So, his famous line at Ohio State, when you know, I talked to him, my brother's coaching for him up here, it's like, at all costs. You know, <laughs> what do you need? What, what, what do we do get done? At all costs. Like, whatever it takes. And so, you need an owner with deep pockets. Like, hey, these are the guys that I want on our staff. They're not going to be cheap. We have to be able to get these guys. All right, we need them. Then we need, like I said, the other pieces to take care of our players. We can't have a million-dollar food budget. We need a $2 million food budget because we need to make sure our guys feel like they're taken care of. We need to make sure there's a full-time physical therapist on staff, which, believe me, you'd think every NFL team has one. They don't. We need guys who can come in, uh, massage therapists, people that are doing dry kneeling, all these different types of body work. And you're like, wow, these owners are rich. That would, what is that to them? Well, a lot of them don't want to spend an extra 250 grand a year taking care of those guys. And it's only that. Like, it is, it's like a league, not even league minimum. But if you would spend like, like, add a 54th player to the roster at league minimum, and you go spend another 400 grand on taking care of guys, that makes all the difference in the world to them because they think, well, we get to get it done at the facility. And so we don't have to drive and waste our own time and we don't have to pay for it. And like, it sounds like, you know, it sounds simple, but guys get sick of having to go drive an hour after practice and spend a hundred bucks on their own to get something done. Well, so it sounds like
1: it's like what you're saying is his program's holistic. It's like, it's everything like, like, so he probably has an idea like of how he wants, I mean, like he has an idea of like, like how he wants the shades drawn in the building. Like he has an idea of where, like, I don't know if I want to go to the Shiano level where
2: it had to be a yeah. certain
1: temperature, right? But, but I, it's I, like that, like he has a, he has an idea of like how everything should be.
2: He has an idea of how everything should look and pr- talking with his trainers, his equipment guys that you all want it to look the same way and you want to speak the same language. And you know, that doesn't mean, you know, you're Eric Mangini and like some craziness or Greg Shiano and some of the things I think Shiano probably learned a little bit. Yeah of how to adapt and change some things as well but that's yeah i i think that that's what it has to be it has to be a holistic approach and it's not going to be something where hey we just show up on you know sundays have a do a little off season work and we're not gonna you know fully invest in our guys
1: do you think he do, and i think what's interesting too about kind of like what you just went through you didn't mention offensive coordinator you didn't mention defensive coordinator And I'm wondering if that's further down the list
2: for him. Then, Um, I do think that he would need a good OC and DC. Like he's always had those guys, and typically when he's come into places in college, he's kept the defensive coordinator and then brought in a new offensive guy. Um, But you know, those guys, I think they're easier to find. When Mm -hmm. you talk about that, like building culture and having the right uh, program, like that's a lot tougher to do. You can find guys that are really smart offensive minds and give them the structure to be able to have success. There's a lot of young coaches out there, and I think Urban would be happy to do that.
1: Okay, so like he could just go into his Rolodex and find. You're confident, but what you're saying is you're confident. Like you're more confident he could find OC and DC than you are that he's going to get everything he wants on the other end, right? Like it's it'd be easier for him to do that than convince the owner maybe to, like you said, like double the food budget.
2: Well, and I think part of it is, you know, these are the guys I need and uh, it's going to take 3 million bucks to get them there. You know, it's this is not, we can't, you know, be the Cincinnati Bengals and say, hey, we're going to pay our coordinator 750 or a million Mm dollars. Like if you want someone that's good and we want to go pluck somebody off the Rams or pluck somebody off, you know, the the chief staff or whatever it is, offense and defense that he's looking at, and it's going to take the guy, it's going to take him, you know, two and a half million. Well, then it's going to take two and a half million dollars.
1: Do you think it works? Do you think his program works? Do you think if he goes to Jacksonville, drafts Trevor Lawrence, you know, he's got all the picks two ones, two twos, two fours, two fives, two sevens, the most cap space in the league? Do you think it works?
2: Um, you know, working, I think that they were, I think they're in a division where you look at this, like Derrick Henry's not going to be rushing for 2,200 yards forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah, you're going against Desha- Deshaun Jackson, but, you know, they're, Houston's kind of a mess right now. Indy, they've got to figure out their quarterback situation, but it's not like you're, in the, the AFC North at this point in time, where like you're taking over the Bengals and you stare around outside of you know Pittsburgh with big Ben, like all right, Browns look really good. Ravens look really good. I, th- I think that there's a way for him to get this done. I think that it can work. I think there's a, a, a decent chance that he would take them, but I would say more probable than not that he would have them as a respectable team playoff contention it, getting close, you know, in the playoffs or right on the fringe after a year or two, because you mentioned all the picks like, the one advantage he has it would be like a Jimmy Johnson situation. Right. You're or coming in, Pete Carroll in, in Seattle. Pete Carroll, you have all these picks. You're number one. You're getting your quarterback. So problem right. solved right there. Something Pete had to deal with a little differently than Jimmy Johnson did because they had Aikman. But mm-hmm. you're uh you're able to select what everybody thinks is the best guy. You played against him. You know him, and then you're able to fill out the talent around the roster, and you have money to spend in free agency. Like I think that roster would improve in a hurry. And Jacksonville, you know, I don't know if it's the biggest destination place in the world, but I don't think it's something where you have to overpay guys mm-hmm. to get to go.
1: You know what's interesting about what you just said there, too? Like you mentioned the college coaches. I've always heard this. Like, I, And I, I remember talking to Pete, some of Pete's scouts about this in Seattle. The enormous advantage that they had early on because Pete knew – had known all the kids since they were 16 – so he had like recruited Richard Sherman, you know, out of Southern California. Now he didn't wind up offering him, but he had known Richard Sherman since he was 16 years old. And like Urban would probably have that to some degree, right? Like he, oh. like he's known, like he has background on those kids, you know, from the time they were, you know, like, like probably
2: some of them high school freshmen, right? It, it matters a ton. And I'll say this, just, a, you know, in a similar vein, we would do a college football picks pick list every week when i was in dallas you know romo Witten, you know brad johnson when he was there it's was like probably seven or eight of us the cabo crew my, yeah my basically <laughs> cabo crew plus guy who had some other guys that were there but yeah. i my first year i went 75 and 55 against the mm-hmm. number yeah and the guys were blown away i'm like dude i could pick all these big 10 games because i played against all the guys i can tell you what teams are good at what and what teams yeah. the matchups are going to be bad like College coaches will have that advantage of knowing specifics about all these guys that they recruited. And even if you didn't end up getting the guy, knowing that, hey, this is what maybe we were worried about. And then you see him either answer that question and and confirm it or refute it. And then all of a sudden you feel better about it.
1: I thought it was so interesting, too, because if you remember, and I still remember, this is the best example I can think of, at least, was in Seattle in 2010. There was a safety coming out that year, Taylor Mays, who played for Pete at USC, and everybody thought, like, oh, they're going to take Taylor Mays and they wound up taking Earl Thomas. And it's like, okay, like now I know what I need to know about Taylor Mays, and he didn't get Earl Thomas when he was recruiting him, but like was he knew like this is a better player than that player and this guy's going to fit better than that guy is. And I just I think that stuff's so interesting. Is there any other uh while we're there and until before getting to like the NFL stuff, um is there a college coach that you think really fits the NFL right now other than Urban? Um, a guy that you think would be an easy transition, and and do you think you know NFL teams in general should be looking at the college level right now?
2: Well, there's so much that's transitioned from college to the NFL, and the systems are becoming so similar now that I do think that it, it's important. And the, the rosters are really young. I mean, they're as young as they've ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that. I mean, they've pushed this thing way down to where it's your your stars and then guys on their first deal So you're dealing with a similar age bracket. You're not dealing with like 18 and 30-year-olds. Now you're dealing with, you know, 20, 18 to 20-year-olds. And really, the majority of your roster is like 21 to 25. Mm-hmm. And so those guys are kind of similar a little bit. I think Pat Fitzgerald yeah. is a guy to be able to have a lot of success. You know, he reminds me a little bit of, I, I wouldn't say Urban, but just his, how he runs a program, his control. And I, he's a very relatable, likable guy. Um, you know, I, I think if, you know, if the Bears, if they ever moved on from Nagy, I, I think that's probably the only job he would take. But I think Pat Fitzgerald is a guy. If you can win at Northwestern, man, in the Big Ten, you can win anywhere. So, yeah. and I tell people like it's, you said Ohio State, Florida, you know, Pete Carroll went at USC. Like those things are easy to do. You know, Jimmy Johnson went at Miami. It's a lot harder to go to <laughs> Matt Campbell at Iowa State and be able yeah. to do that where you're always coaching from a talent deficit. And so Matt Campbell is probably another guy to throw out there because when you can compete for titles and maybe you don't win them. But you're going against guys, teams that you have to out scheme and out develop all the time.
1: Yeah, I think it's. I, I think that's a really interesting point. Like, I think that that's why. Well, that was why Shiano was so attractive in the first place to NFL teams was because he had done that at Rutgers, which no one had ever won there. Like, like I'm not saying it hadn't been it been a long time. I don't think anybody had ever won there. Period. So yeah, I mean, like I'm with you on Campbell and Fitz. I think both those guys. like like I think Campbell's going to get a shot um, and it sounds like he's a little bit more willing to go now. Fitz can take a shot. I I feel like Fitz can take a shot whenever he wants. If he wakes up tomorrow and decides he wants to coach in the NFL, I think he'd probably have multiple offers. Um, And let's wrap up with the NFL side of things then. And I want to kind of like put you in like a team president or general manager seat right now. And, you know, I think like what's so interesting is different teams are looking for different things, you know, and I, you hear this team's looking for, all right, like, well, we want an offensive mind who can work with our young quarterback. Then you talk to another team. We want a leader of men. Um, you know, Bobby, knowing what you know, uh, like if you were in a general manager seat or you were in a presidency, or if you were Chris Spielman, you know, let's, let's just keep it right there. Like, like if you were Chris Spielman right now, what do you think you'd primarily be looking for in a head coach in the NFL?
2: I think a lot of it depends on the composition of your roster at that mm-hmm. point in time. Like, like, how much of a veteran team do you have? How ready to win are you? Is this a complete and total, like, tear down and rebuild? Because then I think you want a, a leader of men, someone that can definitely build and build holistically and, and shape it the way they want. And I think a little bit depends on maybe what region of the country you're in. Like, you think of some, you know, the you know coaching in New England, you know, the Boston yeah. area, or New York, like Pittsburgh, Baltimore, you know, Cleveland, Detroit, some of these, like, old traditional teams – you have to kind of embody the city a little bit. Yeah. Because if not, you're fighting an uphill battle the whole time with the media and everybody else. So you want a coach that kind of embodies, embraces, and understands a little bit of what it means to live in these cities and what these cities are all about. And so, you know, I think, A, you have to understand what it is you're trying to do. You know, B, what type of city do you have? And then I, I honestly, like, I everybody talks about, you know, the bright young offensive mind and the Sean McVay, and that's great. And I think Sean does mm-hmm. a great job. But I think he's as good as managing everything as yeah. he is, as just being a coach. Like everybody just thinks, we'll to get a great offensive coordinator. That sounds good. But, you know, whether, what do you, whatever you think about Mike McCarthy or not, I mean, I don't view him as a great offensive mind. I think, you know, he's a good offensive coach. But watch, you saw what happened in Dallas this year. Like their defense was a mess. Yeah. And so you, you can't just win on one side of the ball in the NFL and think it's going to be okay. You know, Andy Reid, for, you know, all of him just trying to be an offensive guy understood what needed to happen on defense for them to win and knew that was ultimately the final piece you know, brings in Spagnuolo a guy who's familiar with you know, coached with coached against who had had some success and then okay we'll bring him in and we'll build this system around it I'm going to get him what he needs and you know what sometimes we have to play a little complimentary football we have to build mm-hmm. a game plan for how to win the game not just we got to score 40 points well maybe that is the case but sometimes it's we got to score 27 and make sure we possess the ball for 35 minutes because we can't have our guys out there that long and make sure we're always getting two first downs to flip the field and and all of these things that you mm-hmm. look at.
1: I think that's so interesting that you mentioned that. And I think it's why Belichick is successful because I had a really interesting conversation with Chip Kelly about this. And I asked him, this was after he left the Eagles, and I, like, I asked him sort of like what he'd learned from being in the NFL. And he said, "What I learned is every game's won by like less than seven points, or most of them are. And so that means you're having to win on the margins. And situational football in, col- in, in college, not the same as in the NFL. And the NFL situational football is everything. So you're having to win in the red zone. You're having to win on third down. Like the little things matter way more in the NFL. And it just sort of like clicked in my head. Like that's how Belichick wins. Like that's why he wants to be so multiple because he wants to be ready for every situation. He like he wins." he wins championships on the margins, right? Like there's a reason why everybody's in the roster and it didn't work out this year, but um, you know, I, I think, you know, and it's why like, you know, you look at bill and it's on the other side of the ball, like they're just as multiple on offense as they are on defense. And there's a reason for that. That's his philosophy. Sean McVay, if you look like he got really involved on the defensive side of the ball when they needed it two years ago and they went to the super bowl and they were able to hold Tom Brady in check on that stage. Like, I just, I'm with you on that. Like, I just think like the guy at least has to have a vision for what the whole thing looks like. And we talk about being holistic and I guess this comes back to urban, but you have to, I think, I feel like you at least have to have an idea of what you want and it's okay to delegate that, but it can't just be like, well, I'm the head coach of the offense and I'm going to hire a head coach of the defense, you know?
2: Yeah, that, that rarely works. And they tried yeah. to kind of do that in Dallas with Wade Phillips and, you know, Jason and Garrett. Garrett, yeah. You know, when you, you start talking about that, you know, situational football in college is, okay, I've got Devontae Smith. How do I get him the ball the, in the easiest way possible? I'll, I'll throw him a swing route, and he'll make three guys miss and take it 40 <laughs> yeah. yards. So yeah, you're not facing the third and four. And that's why I think Ryan Day would ultimately, if he ever chose, and I don't know if he will get back into it or not, you saw last year in the Fiesta Bowl, struggled mightily in the red zone against Clemson they shut him down couldn't Mm -hmm. score in the red zone this year all right well I'm going to do something personnel wise get two tight ends on the field 12 personnel and do some things to Clemson's blitz scheme to change it up dramatically I you know I've always been a guy that throws it well we're going to run it a little more this game to take some heat off our defense beat him up you know take some more of the clock and ultimately end up getting away but you know you see things and you become very malleable and you could you could argue with this. You know, you'd say the Patriots season was a success. You look at all of the departures they had on defense, the mm-hmm. opt-outs, Brady, and everything else. Didn't they still win seven games? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. they were a couple games from being five hundred or better again with right. everything that happened. Everything yeah. that happened. There would be coaches that were been lucky to get that roster to four wins this year, and he gets them to seven and is on the verge of potentially having eight or nine. And you see,
1: like like to me, it was like and I love Anthony Lynn like great dude like really good coach like was important for the Chargers and getting them where they need to go but that game like when they played, when the Chargers and the Patriots played it's exactly why Belichick's Belichick and why why Anthony like had trouble at the end they scored on defense they blocked a kick they scored on special teams I mean it was just like every single piece of the game and like the little things like really added up in that one you know and so I I don't know I think that stuff's fascinating I uh I mean, I could talk to you about that all day. Um, let's wrap it up here then, because I promised this off the top. Uh, what's going to happen on Monday night? Uh, who's what? What needs to happen for Ohio State to win, and does Ohio State win?
2: Uh, they've got a good shot. They've got to play a very similar a similar game to what they did against uh, Clemson. You're going to have to score points because you're you're not going to be able to stop Alabama. Maybe slow <laughs> them situationally. That's college football situation. Is can I get a pick here? Can I yeah. get a sack on a third and third and seven and get off the field? Because against these elite offenses and the way the game is called and played, it's very very difficult. So they've got to be able to match him up front. I think they can do that. Both of these are, teams are very even, you know, on the on the offense and defensive lines. Iowa State has to be able to run the ball, um, and then when you take your shots like they did uh, Friday night against Clemson, you have to hit, like, because you're going to have to score forty-five points, I think, to win this game.
1: Here's an interesting number for you. Over the last five years, between those two schools, 31 first-round picks. That's 20% of the first-round picks. Like, across the board, 31 first-round picks, which I looked that up. And, I mean, it was 16 for Alabama, 15 for Ohio State. That's freaking staggering. One in every five first-round picks went to one of those schools. It's just they – recru-
2: They recruit better than everyone else, and then they develop the guys better than anyone else, and that's that becomes a product of it
1: okay Bobby tell everybody where they can find you
2: uh, Bcarp3 on Twitter 971 the fan in Columbus uh, bouncing around everywhere else on that Sirius XM right now too Albert
1: all right always appreciate you coming out Bobby hey my pleasure man it was, it was awesome All right. Well, thanks to Bobby. He's always great. We're going to jump into our fantasy and DFS segment. Of course, this is a little bit different because the regular season is over. Most people playing fantasy are done with their seasons, but there's still a lot of action on that front. So we're going to bring back our guy, the original author of the Stardom Sit 'em column, SI.com's Michael Fabiano. Fabs, what's going on?
0: Hey, man. Uh, all good. Looking forward to this very interesting uh, weekend slate of games. And I'm sure you're very busy too with all this coaching stuff going on and the no COVID question. stuff with the Browns. Uh, I, I'm I'm sure I'm sure your hair's on fire at this point.
1: Yeah, you know it's kind of crazy, and I, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Like I do want to, you know, we'll talk about how the Browns situation is maybe affected here too. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you most excited to watch? Like when, when like when it comes to playoffs? Just so everybody knows, we're going to do some picks with Fabs just for fun at the end of this. Um, you know, like it's been a long slog getting here, obviously, and you follow the individual players as close as anybody. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you most excited to watch over the next four weeks, five weeks, five weeks?
0: I'm very interested to see if the Bills can continue to play uh, at such a high level. There's a lot of folks out there that think they're the favorite to win the Super Bowl, even over Kansas City, who's got the first run by and home field advantage throughout. Although, again, with no fans, right, it's not as big a home field advantage that Arrowhead it might have been. Uh, otherwise in in a regular season. And also, is there another team in the AFC that can actually push Buffalo or Kansas city? Because when I look at this slate of teams, I don't see anybody beating either one of those squads. Now in the NFC, like you can see three or four teams going to the super bowl, right? It could be the saints. uh, It could be, it could be Tampa. It could be Seattle. uh, It could be green Bay, obviously, Mm -hmm. So the NFC is a little bit more wide open, but you know, are we going to see like a Tennessee Titans from last year, who sort of came out and ended up getting hot at the right time, knocked off the Ravens, ultimately did not get to the Super Bowl, but they were a team that was in the AFC Championship game, and uh, not many people had predicted them to get there.
1: So I don't know if you've heard these numbers, but it is pretty crazy. I'm going to pull it up here because I did it the other day. Maybe I so over the last six games, Buffalo. Their cumulative score, that's coming out of the Hale-Murray game, right? So their cumulative score over their last six games is 229 to 110. Oof. They've won by an average of 20 game, 20 points per week. In the last three weeks, they've averaged a margin of victory of 30 points. Yeah. And every single win over the last six weeks is double digits. I mean, like Fabs. It's like they're playing like it's like a Big Ten team playing against the Mac the last month. And yeah, a half, I know. You know, and it's
0: not like they're playing like all trash teams either. No, like Miami had a shot to get to the postseason. Yeah, and and Buffalo absolutely just boat raced them.
1: New England, like like that's up in a house of horrors for them. They went up there and just exercised every demon. The Niners, they've been competent. Like they're not like great this year. They've had a ton mm-hmm. of injuries, but they've been mm-hmm. competitive about against just about
0: everybody, right? Yep. No. Yeah. B- so, Buffalo's gotten hot at the right ex- spot yeah
1: i'm excited to watch him it's, it's interesting too because in a normal circumstance we wouldn't get to see him this weekend because of the expanded playoffs we do get the chance right. to see him so that's mm-hmm. sort of an interesting bonus this weekend let's jump into uh, your dfs picks for the week as always is brought by brought to you by by DraftKings. we have God, one of my 12 teams playing this weekend um your bargains and fades for Wildcard weekend
0: so we'll start off with the quarterbacks and you know Ben Roethlisberger at sixty one hundred dollars is not bad. He's he's averaged right around twenty fantasy points uh, over the last twenty four home games, and you know Cleveland's defense much better at home than on the road. So I think Big Ben coming back, he should be a little bit uh, closer to one hundred percent after missing the last week's game against Cleveland. And Cleveland, of course, is dealing with the COVID situation. Uh, Olivier Vernon obviously is not going to play. Uh, I also like Drew Brees this week at $5,700. Even though the Bears defense, you know, pretty formidable, I still feel like Brees uh, with Michael Thomas trending in the right direction to come back uh, is worth a a look. Because you could spend the money on Lamar or Josh Allen or whatever the case may be, uh, and a lot of people will do that. These guys are the ones that I actually trust, maybe at a little bit of a lower level. Uh, the fades for me at quarterback, Russell Wilson historically has been very unreliable against the Rams. Their defense is very good. Maybe the best defense in the national football league at $6,600. I'm going to fade Russell and then Baker Mayfield at $5,400. He barely scored over 21 fantasy points in two games combined against Pittsburgh. Like Pittsburgh's defense uh, is, is no joke. They are at home and Baker, as well as he played down the stretch, the Steelers are still, a team that I just don't trust Baker Mayfield to put up points against, especially uh, when his head coach, Kevin Stefanski, the offensive guru that he is, uh, is obviously not going to be available in that game because of the COVID-19 situation at running back, the players that I would roll with JK Dobbins, who I think is going to be a top 10 fantasy back next year. He's at $6,600. And then I think you can go with Antonio Gibson at $5,700. What does Washington need to do? Keep Tampa off the field. That offense has got to be on the sidelines if they have any shot to win. How do they do that? Run the football with Antonio Gibson. Uh, J.K. Dobbins also in the mix there too. at Running back in terms of the fades, Chris Carson. Mm -hmm. The Rams defense, again, very good. Carson really struggled down the stretch, did not put up great numbers. And then James Conner, just simply because I don't trust the Steelers' running attack at all. So I'm going to fade James Conner. At his price, the wide receiver bargains this week. Antonio Brown at $6,100 even if Mike Evans is back and we're not hundred percent sure if he will be back, but it's mm-hmm. trending at least in a positive direction at $6,100. He's been playing at a very high level and Hollywood Brown at $5,400. Uh, Albert, did you know that the Cleveland Browns have given up the most fantasy points to home wide receivers this year? They have not been good. And Hollywood Brown's playing, uh, 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 excuse me, I'm sorry. Deontay Johnson was the play. Um, I'm getting my teams mixed up here. Marcus Brown's playing the Titans, uh, my fault. And, The Titans have given up the second most fantasy points to wide receivers. Going back to Deontay Johnson, who I also wanted to mention, against Cleveland, who had given up the most fantasy points to home wide receivers. And Big Ben is back, so Deontay Johnson's a good play. Two fades in the Seattle uh, Rams game. Tyler Lockett, even though he's had a huge game last week against the Niners at $6,900, really tough game against the Rams. And Robert Woods, if Jared Goff is out, I just can't trust him at $6,200 when you look at what John Wolford did. He got it done on the ground somewhat. The passing game was just awful from a Mm -hmm. statistical perspective. So there's not a Rams pass catcher that you can really trust uh, in this matchup. And that that one's going to be interesting, right? Can the Rams, without Goff, if that's the way that it goes, hang with Seattle? And the defense is going to keep L.A. in the game regardless, but Seattle's defense is awful as they were in the first half they're playing a lot better in the second half of the season
1: all right so I want to double back on one thing there before we get into stardom sit you mentioned Baker Mayfield Mm -hmm. and the lack of his offensive play caller how leery are you about Browns players this weekend because of that because it's going to be Alex Van Pelt not Kevin Stefanski calling plays because they've had to deal with the stress of all of this all week. Like, are you careful about Browns players this weekend because of all
0: of this? There's not really many Browns players that I would have promoted regardless. Right. Mm -hmm. So Nick Chubb would be obviously someone that you would play Jarvis Landry. I feel like to a degree would probably be playable and Austin Hooper's had success against Pittsburgh this season, including last week. So it, it really doesn't change the value of those players. Is the situation ideal? I mean, obviously not. There's no question about it. And it doesn't help anybody's value on that bronze offense. But I still would play Chubb if I'm looking for a bargain at tight end. I think Austin Hooper is certainly worth a look. And then Jarvis is going to get his targets.
1: Okay, obviously stardom sitem takes on a different connotation this weekend Mm -hmm. with only 12 teams playing instead of 32. A lot of fantasy leagues are done, but there are some different formats for the playoffs. So for those of you that participate, we still want to give you guys um, some semblance of a stardom sitem. So what do you got for this week, Fabs?
0: I I like Tom Brady, and I know that, uh, again, Albert said it, there's not a lot of teams going on, right? So you can't go chalk here. I mean, Josh Allen, obviously, Lamar Jackson, you're going to play those guys. But Brady, I mean, he's given you 23-plus points in three straight games, uh, 10 combined touchdowns in those games. And while the football team's been pretty solid overall on the defensive side... Kyler Murray scored 32 against them. Lamar Jackson had 25 against him. Jared Goff beat him for almost 25. So the defense is good, not impenetrable. I think Brady's a top five quarterback. I mentioned Ben Roethlisberger a little bit earlier on in his last 24 games at Heinz field. He's averaged right around 20 points per game. Uh, The Browns have allowed six quarterbacks to score over 24 fantasy points against them this season. So I think big Ben is in the mix. Uh, Baker Mayfield, once again, based on the situation that we've talked about, is going to be a fade for me. Mitch Trubisky's also a fade. And I know he's looked better lately, but I mean, when you when you get down to brass tacks, he's failed to score more than 19 fantasy points in four of his last six games. So that's not, that's not great, right? And David Montgomery is going to get the ball a ton because what is the bear what do the Bears want to do? Keep Breeze off the field and keep that offense off the field. So it's going to be a lot of David Montgomery in that game, unless the Saints take a big lead. And if they're looking to well, make Mitchell Trubisky beat them, that might be the best strategy for them because I'm still not a believer in Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, When we move on to the running backs, David Montgomery is a bit of a chalk play. And New Orleans' defense overall for the season was really good against runners. Not lately, though. Uh, They've given up the 10th most fantasy points to that position since week 14. J.K. Dobbins, who averaged 2.2 fantasy points per touch last week. I mean, that's just bananas good. Against Tennessee, they've given up 20 touchdowns and the seventh most points to runners Dobbins. Like I said, I love him going into next season. Uh, the backs that I'm wary of, I mentioned Chris Carson a little bit earlier on. He's failed to score more than 10.9 fantasy points in three straight games. This is uh, th- this is just a bad matchup for for a lot of Seahawks. Let's put it that way. The Rams defense is no joke. Uh, I don't like Cam Akers either. I was surprised he played as much as he did. He had 25 touches last week, but he only rushed for 34 yards. And with John Wolford under center, Seattle's not going to respect the passing game at all. And the Seahawks have also given up just 20 points per game to running back since week 12. So the matchup's not great. At wide receiver, I mentioned Hollywood Brown and the Titans giving up the second most points to wide receivers. Uh, The over-under here is about 55. So Vegas is expecting a high-scoring game. And then I mentioned uh, with Deontay Johnson, with the Browns giving up the most fantasy points to wide receivers, on the road this year. And this is going to be a smash spot for big Ben and Deontay Johnson, who is in the top eight in terms of targets among wide receivers uh, this season. He got targeted a ton. Uh, The receivers that I wouldn't play Lockett, Once again, uh, the last time he played the Rams, he had 7.4 points and DK Metcalf in, in in traditional, I guess, non-traditional playoff formats and DFS. He's a risk. He's done nothing against Jalen Ramsey. And I mentioned Robert Woods as well. When you look at the number 7.6 fantasy points last week with John Wolford under center, uh, Seattle has been really good against wide receivers in the second half of the season, at least much better than they were in the first half when they were giving up historically bad numbers. So Woods and any Rams pass catcher uh, are going to be on the fade list for me.
1: Okay, just for fun, and this is an idea we came up with on the fly. I would probably do it against the spread if I had the spreads in front of me, but we're going to just go straight up on these. We're going to go rapid fire every week to wrap it up with Fabs. With our playoff picks, I'm going to tally them down, Fabs, so Mm -hmm. we'll have a final score at the end. Maybe we can bet a case of beer or something on this. We'll figure that out offline. Um, But uh, So we will go down each of the games. Just one quick thought on each game from each of us um, as we make our pick. And we will go in order of the games. So, Fabs, let's start with Colts-Bills Saturday afternoon in Orchard Park.
0: Really hard for me to pick against Buffalo. They're playing at such a high level. Colts are very good. Their defense is very good. Buffalo's on fire right now. I'm going Bills.
1: Okay, this is easy for me. Everything that I said about Buffalo, the the margin of victory over the last few weeks, they're firing on all cylinders. I'm taking the Bills as well. Game number two, Rams at Seahawks late afternoon Saturday. Who you got?
0: I'm going with Seattle, uh, assuming John Wolford is under center for the Rams. I think that's a very difficult position to put a quarterback with very little experience into, uh, even though, again, the home field advantage isn't what it was in a non-COVID situation. uh, Seattle is, is the favorite in that game, and rightly so. I think Seattle wins.
1: I'm taking something that Fab said and using it against his pick here. Jalen Ramsey, one of the most valuable defensive players in the NFL this year. He's been worth the big contract. Mm -hmm. I think he's a factor in this game going against DK Metcalf. I like Sean McVay going into this environment, having a quarterback who's a little different than what the Seahawks are used to. This is going to be my upset here, uh, Fabs. I'm taking the Rams. Third game, the Saturday night game, Buccaneers at
0: the football
1: team, the Washington football team at FedEx and Landover. Who you got?
0: I'm going with Tom Brady and the Bucks, and it's a chalk pick, but we're in the playoffs. <laughs> so yeah. um, the, the better team should advance. When you look at Washington planning on potentially going back and forth with mm-hmm. Alex Smith and Taylor Heineke, at quarterback, it's not ideal. And if they can't keep that Buccaneers offense off the field, Washington's offense can't keep up. Uh, it, it's Tampa Bay.
1: I'm going with the Bucks, but maybe closer than people think. Here's why. Mm-hmm. The formula for beating Tom Brady in the playoffs, except for last year, because last year, they, I don't think had a very good team around him. But the formula traditionally for beating Tom Brady in the playoffs is being able to get to the quarterback with just four rushers, right? right. The Ravens, the Giants, the teams that beat him in the playoffs were mm-hmm. always able to do that. Yep, that's the one thing Washington can do, <laughs> like at an elite level.
0: No, right. So yeah, exactly. I, exactly, I think this is. I
1: think it's gonna be a little trickier for the Bucks, but if I do they think put, they come out. If they put pressure on Brady, it'll be closer than we think. Okay, let's move to Sunday then. A rematch from last year: Ravens at Titans. This time, last year the game was in Baltimore. The Titans pay, pull off a massive upset. Who you got, Baltimore, Tennessee?
0: I guess this one would be my upset, although I don't think it is. I'm going Baltimore. Tennessee's defense is bad, man. I mean, like, Houston, and I know Deshaun Watson is great. I mean, you know, you got Brandon Cooks and what else at wide receiver. David Johnson has not been great. They could not stop that offense. Tennessee's yeah. defense is bad. I think Baltimore will remember what happened to them last season, and they'll go into Tennessee Uh, Lamar Jackson is playing at a very high level. I think they'll take that game.
1: I'm with you too. I'm taking the Ravens here. I think the Ravens are able to control the pace of the game and the tenor of the game with their running game because Tennessee has struggled on defense so much. And so I think it's almost like the Ravens, and this is going to be at like a, have the feel of a heavyweight fight, the way the two teams play. I just think the Ravens are going to be able to kind of control the tempo and tenor of the game Mm -hmm. and take the, I say that to take the ten- take Tennessee's formula and throw it back in their face. All right. Late afternoon Sunday game. Bears at Saints. Who you got?
0: I've got to go with the Saints. I I won't say that the Bears backed into the playoffs, but <laughs> I, I, I just don't think they're that good of a team, to be yeah. quite honest with you. And all this talk about Trubisky, as I mentioned, I mean, he's he's kind of managing the game, which mm-hmm. – Ultimately, Chicago is is looking for right. They're looking for someone who's not going to turn the ball over uh, and be able to hand it off to David Montgomery about twenty times per game. I just I don't think Chicago can go into New Orleans with Michael Thomas back. Fingers crossed for Alvin Kamara to be back and knock off that team. I just don't think they can do it.
1: Yeah, this is fairly simple for me too. I think the Saints might have the best roster in the league, and the question with them is going to be: Does Drew Brees have enough left in the tank? To take advantage of what's around him, but that is a star-studded mm-hmm. roster, yep. and I think at least while they're playing in the dome, and uh, they're going to be a very, very tough out. Now, you take them outside, uh, an older quarterback in that environment in Green Bay, you know that, that's where things might change. But I think they're going to be a very, very difficult out while they're playing in the dome. And the final game for the weekend: Steelers Browns. Unusual circumstances Sunday night in Heinz Field. Who you got?
0: I got to go Pittsburgh. I mean, the only. <laughs> They almost beat them last week with the JV defense and without Big Ben. I, I just, I don't see Cleveland yeah. winning the game. I just don't. I mean, it, unfortunately for the Browns and their fans, they're at a massive disadvantage. God, uh, you know, sucks too. Joel <laughs> Dutonio is going to be out. You know, that hurts the offensive line. You lose Olivier Vernon. I, I, if the Browns win, it will be one of the, one of the, you know, biggest stories of the season. Because of mm-hmm. the situation that they're in right now, I just I, I can't see them going into Heinz Field and beating Pittsburgh. And I think Pittsburgh righted the ship a little bit when they were down to Indianapolis, and everyone started to write them off. And Big Ben just you know got the cape on in the second half and played so well and, and led them back to uh, to a come from behind victory. So I'm going Steelers
1: to all my friends in Cleveland, Ohio, and I've got a lot of friends in Cleveland. Like take heart. Your place, your 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 building is in a great place. A very solid foundation has been laid. The future <laughs> is bright. There's a lot to build off of. I'm sorry that you have to deal with this the first time that you're in the yeah, playoffs no. in 18 years. Yeah. I mean, it sucks. It really sucks. And yeah. because of all of these issues, though, because you aren't going to have your head coach, because you aren't going to have Petonio, who I think I think that's a big deal going up against toit and Hayward and what they can do yep. up front with their interior defensive line. And I just I just don't see the the Browns being able to go into Pittsburgh and win. I think they'll make it competitive. Um, and I think the Browns coaching staff will find a way to kind of keep this game, I, I guess, under control. Mm-hmm. But I think in the end, they're not gonna have this sort of firepower to compete with Pittsburgh on that stage in the playoffs yeah Uh, he's michael fabiano fabs we're gonna do this every week like i said we'll announce next week with the prizes i'm thinking a case of beer he's out in california maybe he can get me something local out there maybe i can get him something local here um at the end of all this but we'll do our picks every week and he's going to be back with fantasy and dfs information on a Mm week-to-week basis as he's done all year he is michael fabiano from si.com fabs appreciate you coming out
0: all right my man good luck this weekend i'm sure you're going to be very busy all right enjoy the games fabs you too
1: all right thanks to fabs thanks again to bobby we're going to wrap things up here the same way we always do with the six pack you guys know how that works every tuesday i put the call out for questions on twitter i pick six if i pick yours that means i hit the little heart emoji and you get an answer here on the podcast my first question for wildcard weekend is from ms that's at michael Who do you think the top three head coaching candidates are for the Chargers? I'm going to give you the three that I had heard before the process. Obviously, some requests have gone in. There's some questions as to which way they're going to go. But the three I had heard before the process started. Number one, Josh McDaniels, Patriots offensive coordinator. Number two, Brian Dayball, Bill's offensive coordinator. Number three, Joe Brady, Panthers offensive coordinator. What do all three of those guys have in common? Obviously, they're quarterbacks, guys. And getting somebody into the building to work with Justin Herbert is an important piece of this. Since then, I have done some reporting and looking into what they're looking for. They are going to cast a wider net than just that. They're going to look at college coaches. They're also willing to look at defensive coaches. If a guy doesn't have a quarterback's background, though, they're going to need that person to have a very detailed plan for what they plan to do to get Justin Herbert to where he needs to go as a player. So I think they'd prefer to hire an offensive guy who has quarterback's background, but at the very least— they're going to need a detailed plan on what's going to happen with that very precious commodity, that young quarterback they have, Justin Justin Herbert. Question number two from TPF. That's at TPF421. Why don't head coaches hire an assistant in charge of timeouts, challenges, and big picture game management? seems like it would free them up for more play calling and game plan adjustments. TPF, a lot of coaches have this. A lot of times they're under the heading of director of football research, something like that. Um, You know, Bill Belichick has long had that with with Ernie uh, with Ernie Adams, who is on the headset, who is upstairs, who has a line to Bill Belichick on game day. Those sorts of things do exist. Other some coaches don't like the clutter of having a million voices in their head. um, And some guys like the idea of being the game manager. Other guys are more involved on one side of the ball or the other and need that. And so I think as much as anything else is about how you're allocating. Your own time um, during the three hours that are that, that 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 compose a game, and so really, I think so much of this is just about time management. It's not about game management. It's about managing your own time, how much you're responsible for in a game, how much you can handle, and then what you can delegate. And so, so I think some coaches would delegate the game management part of it. I think other coaches would rather not delegate that, and they wind up delegating other things like the on-the-ground coaching, like the play calling, those sorts of things. Question number three from that, the DM, that's at ruckit. Eight, if the Dolphins fall in love with the QB at three, could you see Flores sending two out of the pass for pick 15? I'm going to start here because I didn't address this off the top, and I think it's important to get to it somewhere in the, in the podcast. If I'm the Dolphins, I'm very seriously looking at quarterbacks for the third overall pick. In fact, if I'm the Dolphins, my whole approach to you know working with quarterbacks and going through the process with each of the guys in the draft would be as if I didn't have a quarterback. That doesn't mean I'm not going forward with Tua, but if I've got Brian Flores and I've got Chris Greer and I've got a nice foundation in place and we've taken all these steps forward over two years and we don't have the bevy of picks going forward that we've had the first two years, then you're never going to be drafting, you know, in the top five again. You're not planning to ever draft in the top five again. And so this might be your last shot as a, as a young quarterback, and are you really whether we're willing to tether yourself to Tua and say our future is Tua Tonga Valoa come hell or high water? Like we are willing to tie our job security to this guy? I don't really shown enough in year one to do that. Like if this was Justin Herbert, we'd be talking about a different question. Um, you know, what can you get for the pick? Do you take a position player? Do you market it? I just don't know that two has done enough to merit just dismissing the idea of taking a quarterback. So I think what you do now, you go through the process with Justin Fields, you go through the process with Zach Wilson, you go through the process with Trey Lance. You take a very good hard look at each of those kids, and then you make a determination on how they stack up against Tua. And you go back and you study Tua and rework, but you go back and you look at Tua's rookie film, and you go back and you look at Tua at Alabama and compare that against what the body of work is for each of the other guys. The quarterback position is just too important. You gotta get it right. And maybe your conclusion at the end of that is, is our best option going forward, better than anybody We can get third overall. And if that's your conclusion, fine, but I think you at least have to do the homework. Question number four from David Light, that's at David underscore Light. Great answer on Fields and OSU former QBs. Thanks, David. I appreciate that. Huge Jets fan here, but the that man showed some real grit and heart last week beating Clemson. I think he won me over. David, I think the uh, the the comparison between Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins is unfair. Has been unfair. I think comparing him to past Ohio State quarterbacks is unfair. Has been unfair. I, like, there's no question to me like you have to you have to look at these guys in a vacuum. And the example that I gave was Jeff Tedford. And there had been a rap on quarterbacks coming out of the Ted Jeff Tedford system in college. And you had Trent Dilfer out of Fresno State. You had um, Achilles Smith and Joey Harrington out of Oregon. You had Kyle Bowler out of Cal. There was this rap that, like all of these first round picks that came out of, you know, out of, out of, Jeff Tibford system it was all an illusion and there was a player in 2005 who had this rap against him and was fighting this rap you know that player was it was Aaron Rodgers so I think you have to look at these guys separate from one another and I don't think you can hang Ohio State's quarterback history on Justin Fields he and Dwayne Haskins again opposite personalities and I think if you look past Dwayne Haskins, what you see is there weren't there, for one reason or another, there weren't a lot of first-round quarterbacks at that school. Uh, you know, the same the same way it is in some other big powers like Alabama. Like, like you go before like two unhurts, like there there weren't a lot of high picks there either. So, you know, I I just think you have to look at Fields like separate from everybody else. So that was the argument I made there, and I do think he made himself some money on Friday night. I think it was a big stage, big spot. He hadn't played well in two of the three games before. He had to hear how Zach Wilson was catching up to him in the process, how he wasn't assured of going second overall. So he had all that personal pressure. Then you got the team pressure, all that's on on the line for the team. And he gets hurt in the second quarter and puts that on tape. I think if you're a scout, if you're a coach, you look at that and you say, that's a guy we can build around. So I really like what Justin Fields did there. Question number five from Daniel Trugman. That's at D Trugman. Sorry, we're not going to take that one. We'll, we'll get back to you, Daniel. Question number five is actually from Tom Marshall. That's at Red Zone Knock. Is Matt LaFleur getting enough credit for the job he's doing in Green Bay? Tom, I don't think he is. 26-6 and six in over two years. 27-7 and seven if you include the playoffs. He's been to an NFC Championship game. The team has home field this year. He his plan with Aaron Rodgers worked where a lot of people doubted it. They have stocked the roster not just for this year but going forward. They've got a quarterback in the future of the future potentially in the pipeline. And Jordan Love, the AJ Dillon pick looks better now than it did at the time. I just think we've seen a lot of positive momentum there. And for everything, for all of it, right? Like I just I look at it and I say Matt Lafleur should absolutely absolutely be in the coach of the year discussion. And as as much of an advantage as having Aaron Rodgers is, like I don't think that the Packers were playing with, at this level of consistency under Mike McCarthy. So absolutely good observation by you, Tom. Matt deserves more credit. Question number six from Michael Christopher: That's at Big Dogs One Three One Eight. Why isn't Mike Martindale getting more love for being the head coach in Canada? He seems to get the most out of his defense each year. Players love him. And he has the traits to become a big time coach. Do you think he should be a front runner? for the Jets' job with his ties to Douglas. I think Wink should be in the, the 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 running for a number of these. I think being a defensive coach versus coaching on offense really hurts guys um, because of the way the NFL is right now. But I think Wink, his ability to get the most out of people, his connections in the coaching world to get offensive staff, I, I absolutely am with you. I think he deserves more of a look. He's been a good coach in the NFL for a long time. He deserves his shot. I think it's a little bit like Mike Zimmer, um, you know, where Mike Zimmer had a really – good holistic view of the football of football and the way a team should look and kind of like the way he build an identity for a team we've seen that play out in Minnesota I think wink would be similar and hey, you know what just because I'm feeling giving right now let's get back to Daniel Trugman at D Trugman too and give you guys a bonus answer for this week I just Full disclosure, Daniel, I had your question picked out. Then I actually backed off of it. I took the heart off. Then I read it anyway. So I'm going to give you a, an answer because I did say your name here. Who decides in the playoffs, the schedule for playoff weekends? The games seem to be pretty ra- random in their timing, not putting the most compelling matchups in prime time. Well, I'm going to have to take a look at the schedule again. But here's what I would say the Saturday night game, you want to have a compelling figure like right? you want to have a star player right tom brady made for made for prime time you want to have in the late afternoon sunday game window because that's a big one that's an important big ratings window you want to have something you can sell drew Brees and the saints are there and then you look at the rest of it the steelers are in prime time they're a brand name team uh, the early games are i'd say smaller market teams right like the colts and the bills and the ravens and the titans I, to me, like I look at this, and this is like this is the way TV wanted it. That's the read. I mean, that's always been the way it is. And I think that's the read if you look at the schedule the way it is. Appreciate you guys coming out. Excited to break down the playoffs for you guys here over the next few weeks, the coaching carousel, and we're into draft season after that. So I always, always, always appreciate the feedback that I get from you guys. It helps us out if you rate and review us on iTunes. So go ahead and do that. Give us a rating, give us a review, let us know how we're doing. And if you want to get to me personally, you can always do that via my social channels at Albert Breer on Twitter at Albert, R Breer on Facebook at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram. And always remember to listen to all of our shows, the gambling podcast and Gary's Monday morning podcast. They're on the old feed that I was on the MMQB NFL podcast feed, Jenny and Connor on the Weekside podcast feed. And then of course I'm here on the Albert Breer show. You can find us wherever you find your shows Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. We are there. Come there, get our shows, listen to all of our shows throughout the playoffs. Same time next week. I'll see you guys there.